Well, a few weeks ago, we talked about the fact that we are beings made up of a body, a soul, and a spirit. And that's uh, what the Bible teaches. Uh, Paul says to the Thessalonians, May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless in the coming of our Lord Jesus. If you'll recall, your body relates you to creation. And uh, your soul, which is where your will and your emotions and your mind reside, uh, your soul relates you to creation and your spirit. And your spirit relates you to God. Now we have a tendency to believe that we are humans having a spiritual experience. But the truth is that we are spirits having a human experience. Now, let me make this statement about the Bible. This is a spiritual book written by a spiritual being to spiritual beings. And uh, by the way, the natural man, which means uh, uh, the uh, people who haven't been born again, uh, the Bible says that they can't even understand this book. However, uh, many who have been born again still miss out a lot. And that's what I want to talk to you about uh, today. Uh, I want to talk to you about the Bible. And uh, I'm hoping that what I share with you is going to be helpful, It'll help you to understand uh, the, the Bible. And that in doing so, uh, as I share with you today, I'm hoping that I can just kind of pull a curtain back and reveal to you uh, areas of spiritual understanding that uh, uh, you just have never even seen before. Because once you're familiar with what I'm going to be sharing with you today, you're going to see the Bible in an entirely new light and new vistas are going to be open to you. Now, actually, what I'm not going to be sharing with you is new. It's not going to be new. It's not going to be new even to you. It's just that to a lot of people, they've been conditioned to not see it. Maybe by the way they've been brought up or just uh, uh, for different reasons. But I was just thinking about this driving in this morning. Uh, I grew up in a house, talk to share about it. I grew up in a household where uh, knives got dull and uh, we just kept on using, we didn't know to sharpen in our household for some reason, we didn't know to sharpen a knife if it got dull. And so uh, after a while, you would wind up just mutilating things with knives, kind of crushing them and squashing them. And you'd have to saw through something instead of slicing through it. Now, I don't know exactly why, but that was the way it was in our household all the time I was growing up. And then I started watching these cooking shows and I noticed that 
All those guys, they could just slice through stuff like nothing. I said, man, if I did that, I'd just have pulp there, you know. So uh, anyway, I mean, tomatoes, you know, whatever, you know, it was just, it would be messy. But so uh, because we would keep using a knife, even when it was just as dull as a butter knife to do things that it couldn't do anymore because it needed sharpening. That's just, it's, it's a, such a simple thing. And everybody knows knives were made to be sharp. You'd think that you'd know that, but for some reason, I missed that for years. Yeah, pocket knives, you sharpened, but nothing else. So it was kind of weird, you know. So anyway, so, uh, but this is kind of like one of those things. You know it. It's all around you. You've seen it in the Bible, but it may have just kind of rolled around and never landed in that spot that it was supposed to. And whenever you realize what I'm going to be sharing with you this morning, it can make just such a difference as the difference between trying to go through life using a dull knife instead of a sharp one. And so uh, the first thing I want to bring up is the fact that the Bible is full of And this is the main thing we want to get across today. The Bible is full of spiritual symbols. And let me show you how this works. In Psalm 105, in verses 40 and 41, we read these words. Now listen carefully. And if you have your Bible with you, you might want to follow along. We're going to be looking at several passages today. But Psalm 105, verses 40 and 41. The people asked, and he brought quail and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. He opened the rock, and water gushed out. Now then, I'll just lift up three words here. There's another word here that we could get a lot from, and that's the word where it says the people asked. All these things happen because the people ask. There's a whole message there, but that's not what we're looking at today. Today we're looking, uh, look at these three words, bread, water, and rock. Those past, those things are all three there. And yeah, he did that. But see, these are spiritual symbols. And here's how you spot spiritual symbols. Uh, is bread mentioned anywhere else in the Bible? Sure it is. And you've you've seen it. You know it's there. How about water? Yeah, water is mentioned a lot of times in the Bible. How about the rock? Yes, rock is mentioned in the Bible. The thing is, the Bible interprets itself. It says in uh, first, uh, oh, I'm sorry, second Peter, G, uh, Peter says that no scripture of prophecy is open to personal or private interpretation. But the thing is, the Bible interprets itself. And uh, there's a difference. Now, there's a difference between letting the Bible speak to you and interpreting it. And so this is, this is just it. Uh, the Bible may speak to you on one point one day and another point the next. But, uh, the thing is, there's one particular meaning that scripture has. And, uh, and then that's called what you're looking for is exegesis. 
Exodus, that's not J-E-S-U-S, that's G-E-S-I-S, exegesis as opposed to eisegesis. Exegesis is when you let the Bible speak to you and you try to find out what the Bible is trying to say, what the Bible means. Eisegesis is whenever you try to read stuff into the Bible. Sometimes you can do a topical study. That would be a form of eisegesis, but it's going to take in proper eisegesis begins with exegesis. But there are a lot of people that what they want to do is they want to just go find proof text to hold up whatever they're trying to prove at the moment. And you'll wind up with things like, uh, and uh, uh, Judas took the 30 pieces of silver and went and hung himself. Go now and do thou likewise. You know, whatever you just take different parts of scripture and put them together uh, to mean something that you want it to mean. And that's what a lot of people do. That's not proper hermeneutics, eisegesis or exegesis. But so what we're talking about is how do you hear what the Bible is saying in the deepest way and those things that the Lord wants to get across to you. The Bible speaks for itself. It interprets itself. You don't interpret it. It interprets you. It tells you where you are in life. It tells you whether you're on the right path or the wrong path. It'll tell you how to get back on the right path. It's got all the stuff that you need to live life. In fact, John Wesley at one point uh, talked about all he needed was this book. All he wanted to know in this world was what's the way to heaven. And he said, oh, give me that book talking about this book, the Bible, because it has everything you need to live life the way that it should be lived, the way you were created to live it. Now then, um, you don't interpret it. Uh, where there's a spiritual symbol, the uh, you'll always find it elsewhere in the Bible. There will be a book and a chapter and a verse for it. And so now let me show you where you find the meaning or the interpretation of these spiritual symbols, bread, water, and rock. I read about them in Psalm 105, which is in the Old Testament, right? And yet in the New Testament, uh, we find out what these symbols are. Uh, let's see, 1 Corinthians 10.1, Paul talking to the Corinthians says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. Now, by the way, verses 1 and 2 have three symbols in them. I don't know if you even caught those. There are three baptisms right here. Uh, all were baptized into Moses. That was into their deliverer, which for us, we get baptized into Jesus when we're saved uh, in the cloud. And that represents the spirit. 
the Holy Spirit. You'll see the Holy Spirit being represented by a cloud all through scripture. Whenever the temple was being dedicated, the Shekinah glory of God, a cloud, a glowing cloud filled the temple. And it was so powerful, people couldn't even stand up in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. And so uh, uh, the cloud represents spirit. So we're baptized into Jesus. We're baptized uh, by water and uh, and the sea. And that means water. So there were three baptisms right there in the passage we just read, symbols of them. But here in verse three, and they all ate the same. Now listen closely to this, the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Now see right there, you find what these symbols represent. Okay. So where do I get uh, spiritual symbols? uh, What they mean from, from right here, from the Bible itself. That's where you get them. It says so right here. Now notice it says spiritual. They ate of spiritual bread, spiritual water, and that rock was Christ. Now, I want you to look, if you would, turn over to the 10th chapter of Luke. And I want to show you some symbols. And I want to show you how easy it is to let the Bible define these symbols. Luke 10, 17, verse 17, Luke 10. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And uh, now I'm getting a lot of this from Pastor Robert Morris. And uh, I love what he said when it gets to this point. He said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said, really? And that's not, but the thing is, that's not what he said. Correct? He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And then in other words, here's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm not impressed. I'm unimpressed that demons are subject to you in my name. When Satan came against my father and me, we kicked them out of heaven and they fell like lightning from heaven to earth. But notice the context that we're we're doing really a contextual exegesis of these four verses. Now, uh, what I want to show you is uh, they were talking about demons and then Jesus uses the word Satan. Then verse 19, look what it says here. Behold, I give you authority to trample on. And now then we come across two symbols, serpents and scorpions. I give you authority to, uh, to trample on serpents and scorpions. Over, and then he says, and over all the power of the enemy. So look at the word enemy. Uh, I'm just showing you the context and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, 
Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits, now see the context there, that's demonic spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now, did you see this? Jesus said, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions, but he's not talking about snakes and stinging critters. He's talking about demons, evil spirits. He's talking about our enemy, Satan. And that's the context. Is everyone with me? Are you following me so far? I'm so glad. Okay. Everyone. uh, Okay. But it says serpents and scorpions. But let me just remind you of something. One guy uh, wrote this whole thing. One person wrote this whole book. There are 39 men who penned it, but it has one author. And so because of that, if serpents and scorpions represent demons in Luke 10, what do you think they represent in the book of Revelation? Same author, same references. What would you think they represent in Genesis? Same thing. What did they represent in Ezekiel? The same thing. What did they represent in Jeremiah? The same thing. Now, doesn't that get you excited? Doesn't that start to open things up where you can see? Uh, the Bible is one book, just one book written by a spiritual being to spiritual beings. And so let me now show you uh, how easy it is to understand the Bible. You've always wondered, but it is. It's easy to understand. Uh, the thing is, uh, many people say, I can't understand the book of Revelation. Oh, it's just so hard. But read it in context with the rest of the Bible. And it starts making sense. It's got all these things in it, all these nouns. And if you took those nouns and you found every other place where those nouns that were puzzling you were in the Bible, like scorpions, you'd know what they are. Now, let me just pause a moment. We are so blessed to live in an age where we have computers. Uh, yeah, they're bad in some ways, but they're wonderful. I have a program. It's, it's, it's free. Anybody can download it for free. It's a Bible study program called eSword. That's e-sword.net is where you go to to get it. eSword. And, uh, I have had people give me Bible programs that are worth hundreds of dollars. And I will think, oh, you know, and I'll try it out. Doesn't hold a candle to e-sword. I don't know how many uh, different programs I've used in the past and always come back to e-sword. Not just because I'm familiar with it. That's part of it. But the thing is, it is so uh, compact and it has everything that you need. If you want to look up the word scorpion, you can search the Old and New Testament for scorpion. You can search just the Old Testament. You can search just the Psalms. You can do, you do all sorts of search. So for these nouns, you can search for them very easily in Esau. 
And then you can find out what they mean. And as you read those different passages, you'll come across what it means. Used to, we had to use a concordance. And Sharon and I have a huge, we've got a big concordance. Anyway, the Strong's concordance has every word in the Bible in alphabetical order. So you can do it that way. But just so much quicker just to type in the word and hit a button, you know. So we're blessed. So to, but right here in Luke 10, scorpions represent demonic spirits, don't they? I mean, they're just in the context, you see that. But in Revelation 9, 3, it says, Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. Now, do you wonder what these locusts are? Well, just listen. And to them was given power. Now, see, these aren't just natural, run-of-the-mill locusts. To them was given power. Now, listen to this. As the scorpions of the earth have power. Now, we know what scorpions are. They're uh, demonic spirits, right? We've seen that symbol. So these locusts are given power just like the scorpions. So we know that there's a connection. We know what scorpions are because Jesus told us. Demonic spirits. Now, watch how this works. They were commanded not to harm the grass, the grass of the earth, or any green thing, or any tree, but only men. Now see, if they were talking about uh, just uh, locusts, like the, the, the devour crops and stuff, they wouldn't throw men in there. So you see, this is different. This is a different kind of thing here. But only men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Okay. Now, if you don't understand symbols, that's real hard to understand. But think about it. He said, they can't harm green trees. That's basically what he said. Grass, trees, and green things, green trees. They can't harm green trees. Guess what green trees are? Psalm 1 says this. A man who will meditate on the word of God is like a tree planted by the water. When the demonic spirits are released that we see in Revelation in the end times, they can harm men who do not have the seal of God on their forehead. But they can't, they cannot harm uh, men who meditate on the word of God or women. And that's what it's saying. That's what it means. Uh, you might not know everything yet. Uh, there might be some things in this book that you haven't seen and some things that I've never seen. And that's why we need to read it every day. Meditate on it every day. Continue to apply it to our lives every day because this book was written by our creator, a higher being, a spiritual being, and it has all sorts of spiritual symbols in it. So that's point number one. Point number two is the sheep have an enemy. That's point number two. Uh, 
the Bible is full of symbols. The sheep have an enemy. The reason that I'm doing this is because we know that sheep represent something. And see, we all, you already know what sheep, what does sheep represent in the Bible? People, that's right. We know that. We've seen it. We've heard it. We've seen the connection over and over again. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Everyone knows that. And so we're called sheep. Uh, okay, so now we're going to read another verse. Now, see, you already believe in symbols. You didn't even think about it. You do. You use them. Uh, you believe when the Bible talks about sheep of his pasture, it's talking about you. It's talking about the people of God, right? Then in Ezekiel, the 34th chapter, the first verse, it says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Another symbol. Uh, spiritual leaders are called shepherds. You see that? Uh, so shepherds are spiritual leaders. Flocks are the people of God being led by the spiritual leaders. So now, uh, if you would, here's another place where flocks mean sheep uh, and sheep mean people. Uh, shepherds mean pastors. But there's another symbol that you need to understand. There's a symbol uh, that means something too in the spiritual language. Here we go. In that spiritual world that's going on around us, we see this. Now this is in Ezekiel 34, verse 5. So they, that's sheep, that's his people, were scattered because there was no shepherd. Now if you'll remember, that's repeated Somebody quotes that in the New Testament when the disciples scatter. Oh, so we know who the chief shepherd is as well, don't we? And that's Jesus. But no shepherd feeding them the word of God. So, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. They became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. So it says sheep, but it doesn't mean sheep. It means people, right? It says shepherds, but it doesn't mean literal shepherds. It means pastors. But beasts of the field, that's the new thing we're looking at. That means lions and wolves, right? No. Uh, it means demonic spirits. Isn't that amazing? And I'll prove it to you. Okay, so here's the symbol in Revelation 12, 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. So that tells us who the serpent is. See, uh, you follow. OK, but I'm not just making this up. I'm not just saying, well, I think that this represents the devil. No, there's a verse that tells us that it represents the devil right here. Now, remember, I told you the beasts of the field represented demonic spirits. Remember when Satan fell, he took a third of the angels with him. And uh, those are the demonic spirits. Okay. And the beasts of the field, 
Those are the demonic spirits. Now, when you read Genesis, back to the first book of the Bible, when you read Genesis 3.1, you read uh, those first three words. Now the serpent. There's Revelation talks about the serpent. We know who the serpent is. Now the serpent, you know the serpent represents, it represents Satan. Now watch the rest of the verse. You may something you haven't seen before. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. He's the most cunning of all the fallen angels. Okay? So we just read that when the people of God aren't fed the word of God, they, became, they become food for all the beasts of the field. And now we read that Satan is the most subtle of all the beasts of the field. He's the smartest one of them, you see. Okay, Mark 4. Then he taught them many things by parables. Okay, did, so Jesus taught by parables. But didn't Jesus say that I don't do anything unless I first see my father do it? He said that. So when did he see the father first speak parables? When do you think he saw that? In the Old Testament. And that was his Bible, was the Old Testament. Now, everything happened, but there are many times that God spoke in parables in the Old Testament. And I've got one for you in Ezekiel. Uh, he was talking about the king of Egypt and the king of Babylon. And he said, I'm going to break Pharaoh's arms. But he never broke Pharaoh's arms. Literally, Pharaoh was never going around with his arms broken. That didn't happen. So it meant something else. He said, uh, I'm going to break Pharaoh's arms, never broke his literal arms. And so either God lied or he was speaking allegorically. He meant, I'm going to break his strength. I'm going to break his ability to accomplish anything. Here's what he said. I'm going to strengthen the king of Babylon's arms. And I'm going to break Pharaoh's arms. And this is what he said, both of them. This is uh, one. This is one that does this. And this is one that does that. And he wasn't talking about right and left arms. He was speaking in a parable. Now, he's going to speak in a parable. Verse two, he then taught them many things in parables. Now we're back with Jesus now. And he said to them in his teaching, listen, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the hour of the air came and devoured it. Now you see that birds of the air. Then later the disciples asked him about this, said, What does this mean? And here's what he has responded in verse 13. He said to them, do you not understand this parable? Now, this is important. Listen to what he says. How then will you understand all the parables? Now, I'd like for you to think about that. 
Apparently, this parable is very important in understanding all the parables. And so here in Mark 4, Jesus just said, you don't understand this one? How are you going to understand any of them? And he's not talking about just his parables in the New Testament. He's talking about all the parables in the Old Testament. How are you going to understand them if you can't understand this one? And that's uh, pretty strong. Because of that, this might be a parable you want to study later on this week, just to make sure you can understand it, because it should open your eyes a lot to the rest of the Bible. And so he explains it. The sower sows the word. So seed represents the word of God. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sowed. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Okay, so where do we get our symbols? Where where do we understand the Bible symbols? Let me put it like that. I just showed you. For this case, we get them from Jesus himself. He talked about demonic spirits and he called them serpents and scorpions. And here he's talking about Satan stealing the word. And he calls Satan and his army in essence, uh, because he has people to do his bidding, bidding, he's calling them fallen angels. He's called, but he refers to them as birds of the air. So this is something, this is one of those keys to understand the book of Revelation, the birds of the air, because it's not just referring to birds. And it doesn't mean if you have a parakeet or a canary that you've got a demon sitting in a cage at your house. This is symbolic, okay? So just as there are a whole lot of symbols in this Bible, uh, I want to continue with uh, with this with, with this part of it next week. But today, I want to just wrap up with this. Now that we've seen how this stuff works, and like I say, we'll continue on it next week. But in Matthew, the 12th chapter, the 43rd verse, Jesus says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, And that means that an unclean spirit could get into a person. He goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. And then he says, I'll return to my house. Now, what's he talking about when he says my house? He's talking about the body that he left, about the life that he had been kicked out of earlier. Okay, he so he says I'll go. Oh, so he says I'll go back from where I, which I came, and when he comes, he finds it and watches three things. He finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Now, if you'll recall, Jesus talks about house in another place in uh, the Beatitudes. Do you remember that? Remember, he says a wise man built his house on the rock. And do you remember what a rock is now? Now you know what the rock is. The rock is Jesus, right? So guess what sand represents? The world. So there's a lesson right there. What Which are you building your house on? Are you building your house, your life, your body 
Are you, is it all connected with being on the foundation of, of God, his word, his son? Is that what you're, what's being built on? Or is it being built on something else? But here it says empty, swept and put in order. Empty, swept, cleaned up, put in order. And then uh, he goes on and uh, he takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and they dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. So how did the demon spirits get back in? His house was swept. It was cleaned up. Everything was put in order, but it was empty. There was nothing inside. He didn't replace what the, the demonic thing that was a part of his life. He didn't replace it. Paul goes through a whole thing of putting off and putting on. And he says, uh, let, him, let him who stole steal no more. Rather, let him get a job and uh, make some money so he can bless other people. You know, so you put off one thing. You put off the thing from the world that you've been embracing. But then you got to put on something else. You've got to replace what you put off with something else. I see this played out in AA uh, because I see people come to AA and a lot of times, yes, it saves their life. It puts them in a place to where uh, they uh, have uh, uh, accountability and they can at uh, uh, one now then they can have found a way to stay away from drinking alcohol. But if they don't replace the ungodly thing with a godly thing, they're going to fall off the wagon and stay off the wagon. And uh, I can remember with me with smoking. I quit smoking in 1980, the last time, the time it stuck. I'd quit five years before. And then one day picked up a cigarette and it was like, well, hello, friend, where have you been? And I tell you, it was literally seven times worse trying to quit the second time. So this lives out, this principle plays out in a lot of different ways. But see, it was empty. It was empty. And so uh, the thing is, is that uh, we have to fill our house with something else. Just because you get rid of something. And this happens with people who are saved initially. And then they don't follow through on really committing themselves to the Lord. They leave their house empty. Nobody enjoys an empty life. It's got to be filled with something, you see. And it will be filled with something. So what are we supposed to fill our house with? Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God. That's the first things we fill it with. But here it's saying this guy he was kind of set free, but then he winds up getting seven more worse than the ones that he had before. Okay, an Old Testament scripture with a symbol in it. When the children of Israel went into the promised land, they were to drive the enemy out. Do you realize that many times uh, we say, 
that the promised land represents heaven. That's what everybody seems to think, isn't it? I'm bound for the promised land. That's wrong. That's wrong. The thing is, it doesn't represent heaven because there were still enemies in the promised land. There's not going to be any enemies in heaven. What the promised land represents is the overcoming Christian life and the way that uh, you're going to live, going to have an overcoming Christian life is if you drive the enemies out of your life and replace them with their godly alternatives. That's the way that you overcome and that's the way you live in the promised land. It's spiritual growth. You get <coughs> to a certain point and then you find you've got another point to go to. You're ready for the next step. <coughs> now, some of you, <coughs> you may be thinking, I wish I'd heard this years ago. And uh, I'm so glad these two young people are getting to hear this now. And uh, because they can apply this through the rest of their life. But even you see, God's timing is right. It's your turn to hear it right now. And he wants it to start making a difference in your life now. So you're going to, so the thing is, you take, he tells them they're going to take over the nations before them little by little. He says, you'll be unable to destroy them at once, lest the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Do you see that? There's the beasts of the field. And I don't think it's talking about lions and tigers. I think he's saying we're going to drive these nations out little by little. So you get stronger. You have more faith. You get established where you are. And then you grow lest the beasts of the field become too numerous. And I think that that's a symbol to us that we've got to keep walking with God. We've got to keep reading the Bible. We've got to keep opening ourselves up to the things of God. We have to keep growing. We never get too old because we're driving the beast of field out of our land. Now, are you following me? Okay, good, because I'm right at the end and I, I didn't want to be, leave any of you behind. So here's the whole point of this message. I hope you understand that this is a spiritual book written by the greatest of all spiritual beings to spiritual beings. And there are things in here that you probably haven't seen or heard yet. And I hope that our talk this morning has brought you to the point so that you wind up being hungry again. Uh, hungry for this book. So hungry that you'll read it every day and you'll discover that the Lord still has things for you.